You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. Let's welcome Randy here. I'm going to say a quick word of prayer before he starts. Lord, uh, thank you for Randy. Thank you for the amazing impact he and Elizabeth had had on your kingdom. Uh, through the work of the E-Free Church here in Hastings and all the other places you've called him, Lord. Uh, we are just so thankful for his presence here. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak through him today, uh, through your word, and Lord, that it would just our hearts would absorb your truth. Father God, bless uh, this time, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. So let's welcome Randy. Well, thank you, Chris. Uh, and I assume, I assume I'm on. Can you hear me <clears throat> adequately or not? This feels like uh, old home week to me uh, to be back here today with you. Um, I know many of you, uh, the Ablets, uh, Chris and Jill are over in Kearney right now. You just recently moved there, and uh, so good to meet you in Hastings today. And uh, Doug and Deb, but many of you, uh, the Shade family, uh, Will, just great to get reconnected with you this morning and uh, your family, the Dittmers for years, your dad. And I'm just, uh, Seth, uh, good to see you again, brother. And uh, I'm grateful that I can be here today. As Chris said, uh, pastored in <clears throat> Hastings here at the Evangelical Free Church for about 20 years and then left there about uh, three years ago now and went to New York for a couple of years. And uh, now we're in Kearney, good to be back in Nebraska, and especially good to be back in Hastings. And the thing that uh, just thrills my soul today is it's 11 o'clock, and I've gotten online, and <clears throat> I've listened a little bit to uh, Joe's preaching and discovered that sometimes he'll preach uh, 50 minutes or so. That makes me feel real comfortable. <laughs> especially on a communion Sunday when we're going to be around the Lord's table. And so I promise that you'll get home by at least 2.30 this afternoon, okay? <laughs> and I was feeling sorry for myself this morning until I heard about uh, the Coles getting in from India at 2 in the morning, flying into Chicago, driving all the way back over here. I was thinking, wow, we got in late last night, but uh, you all are to be commended to be here uh, this morning. Well, today we're going to be in John chapter 15, so I hope you've got your Bible or your phone or something that uh, you use to get Scripture, and I would like to read verses 1 through 8 for you, and then we're going to look at this passage of Scripture, and I'll give you the outline uh, right now before we read it, because we're going to be talking about the importance of leading a fruitful life to the glory of God, and we're going to see five secrets in this chapter this morning that I think God uses as a part of the process in our lives to help us live a life of fruitfulness to the glory of God. That little P on your outline is the word pruning, and we're going to talk about that in just a moment. Abiding is the second key word on your outline this morning. The third key word is the word asking. Then the word obeying, and finally the word loving. John chapter 15. 
I'd like to read verses 1 through 8. We're going to talk about the entire uh, first 17 verses, first half of the chapter. But I want to at least read verses 1 through 8 for you. And here Jesus says, using the analogy of a vine and branches, I'm the true vine. Now, there are a lot of people that may tell you they're the vine, but they're just pretenders. Jesus is the true vine. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And incidentally, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. There's that word pruning. That it may bear more fruit. Remember again that God's goal for us is fruit for God's glory, to the glory of God. He goes on to say in verse 3, Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me. There's that word abiding. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. Verse 5, I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he's thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. But if you abide in me, and my words abide in you, ask. There's that word ask or asking. Whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. Would you bow your head with me in prayer? Lord, we just thank you for how we can be here today at the YMCA in Hastings, Nebraska. And Lord, now as we look at this analogy of this parable that you gave us of the vine and the branches, and your goal for us to be fruitful in the Christian life. I ask, Lord, that you would give us food for our souls. Lord, you're sovereign. You know exactly who we are. You know where we've been this week. Some of us have been to India. Some of us have been in Texas. Some of us, Lord, have just been here at home. But you know our orbit. You know where we work. You know the neighborhood that we live in. And Lord, you know exactly where we are today emotionally. You know where we are physically. You know where we are spiritually. And you know what we need, Lord. And you're our teacher. This is your word. And so we ask that you would open your word to us. We ask that the Holy Spirit, who is our teacher, would be in our midst and that you would give us what we need as we walk out from here to better serve you and be fruitful for you and your glory in this coming week. So we give you this time, Lord. We turn it over to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, how many of you are sports fans? Could I just see your hands? Anybody in here like sports? A few of us. I've got to raise my hand. I love sports. 
Well, we just finished with the final four uh, this last Monday. How many of you watched the Winter Olympics? A little bit of it this past year. Okay, well, you're a man after my own heart, brother. I like to watch the Olympics, and I've got an Olympic story here for you this morning as we begin. It's a story of a man by the name of Matt Amons, and he was in the, not Winter Olympics, but the Summer Olympics back in 2004. And in 2004, he was part of a three-position rifle shooting uh, contest in the Olympics. And he was on the verge of getting the gold medal in his event. And he got up on that last day and he shot at that last target. And all he had to do is hit the target and he would have gotten the gold medal in that event. And guess what he did? He not only hit a target, but he almost got a bullseye, which was good enough for the gold medal. But unfortunately, he shot at the target right next to the one he was supposed to be shooting at. And so instead of getting an 8.1 score, which is where he hit in the target, which was more than enough to get the gold medal, he got a zero, and he finished eighth. Now there's a very important lesson in this story, and the lesson is this. It doesn't matter whether or not you hit the target if you're shooting for the wrong target in your life. Unfortunately, today, most people are shooting for the wrong target in their life because you know what the goal for their life is? The goal for their life is to become successful. But Jesus had very little to say about being successful. But he had a lot to say about being fruitful in our lives. And that's what he's teaching us in this passage of Scripture this morning. So let's look at it together as, our, as we work our way through these verses and look at what Jesus has to share with us and what he wants to tell us. Most people have a very different goal than what we see in this chapter or this passage of Scripture. But I want you to notice as we begin how many times Jesus uses the word fruit or the analogy of being fruitful. Count them up, will you please? Look at verses... 2, 4, 5, we'll look at verse 8, and then look at verse 16, and I think that we can do math almost as well as Eric did it for us this morning. Count it up, how many times do you see the word fruit or the word fruitful in those verses? And if you want to get out of here by 2.30 this afternoon, then somebody's going to have to give me the right answer. In the ESV version, does anybody else have that? I think that's what Pastor Joe uses. How many times is that word fruitful found in these verses of Scripture? I found eight. Now, there's a reason I'm a pastor, <laughs> and I don't teach math at the, the local high school, but I think I'm accurate. Go back and recount it. Whether it's five or eight, it's a number of times that he repeats that word fruitfulness or fruit. That is Jesus' goal for your life and mine, that we become 
fruitful or that we bear fruit for the glory of God. In verse 8, he says, and I just read it, by this my Father is glorified. And then he tells us how God is glorified. He's glorified if you bear much fruit, and in so doing, you prove to be my followers, or you prove to be my disciples. Now look at verse 16. You didn't choose me, but I chose you, and I appointed you that you should go and do what? Bear fruit, and that your fruit should abide. I believe when you count all of those up, you come to eight times. Now, what does fruit look like in the Christian life? Let's try to ask and answer that question before we go any further. To be fruitful is all about the fruits of the Spirit. That's not necessarily about making a lot of money. Most people, their lives, their value system is accumulating possessions or becoming very powerful or becoming popular. And if you're powerful or if you're popular or you have a lot of money or a lot of stuff, then you've become successful. And that's the goal in our culture, our country. But that's not Jesus' goal for our lives. His goal is that we become fruitful. And if you want to know what fruitfulness looks like, well, then just look at Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23, being more patient, being more loving, being more kind, being more faithful. All of those fruits of the Spirit that Jesus gives us there in Galatians 5, verses 22 and 23. Now, fruit can look at like something else in the Christian life, not just Christ-like character, but it can also be Christ-like people as we invest our lives in people and as we see people becoming more Christ-like, a little bit more like Jesus in their lives, then we're producing spiritual fruit. That's being a fruitful Christian or fruitful believer. And God uses a very simple process to make us more fruitful in our lives. And the first step in that process is this word pruning. Look at verses 1 and 2 again. He says, I'm the true vine, and my father's the gardener or the vine dresser. And he cuts off or he prunes every, or cuts off every branch in me that bears no, fr no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that may bear even more fruit or become even more fruitful. Now, underline or circle that word prunes. Pruning is not always fun, but it's productive. And Jesus uses pruning in our lives to make us more like the Lord Jesus Christ and to be fruitful. Now, notice this analogy of, of being a vine. Vines were common in Palestine during Jesus' lifetime. If you live where Jesus lived, and Elizabeth and I, hopefully, my wife and I, are going to be going to Israel in September. This will be my first time to ever go to, to Israel, and so hopefully I'm going to get to see some vines and see what, what Jesus talked about in this analogy or parable. Vines were very common in Palestine. They were as common as apple trees or strawberry or blueberry bushes are to New York, where my wife and I have lived for the past two years, or they were as common as corn stalks here in Nebraska. We got a lot of corn stalks in Nebraska, right? 
And if you uh, walked across the Kidron Valley, as Jesus did, uh, to uh, the Garden of Gethsemane, you would have seen a lot of vines in Jesus' day. And so he's using a vine to illustrate the truths that he's trying to teach us now, today. And the disciples probably saw some of those vines as they were walking along, and Jesus was using this analogy or, or, or telling this parable. And incidentally, the vine was the symbol of Israel, and it was also the symbol over the door of the holy place in the temple. And so the vine was an analogy that these disciples that were listening to Jesus, they would have been very familiar with what uh, he was describing or talking about. And Jesus says, I'm the true vine. Now, there are a lot of pretenders, as I said earlier, a lot of people that would tell you that they're the true vine, but Jesus is the true vine. Jesus is the Savior. Jesus is the source of eternal life. Jesus is the only one that can give us life. And we're going to celebrate that at the end of this service today as we gather around the Lord's table. And Jesus is the only one that can produce genuine fruit to the glory of God in our lives. And so he says, I'm the true vine, which means I'm the, the real deal. I'm the authentic vine. I'm the genuine vine. In John chapter 1, we learn that Jesus is the, the word of life. In John chapter 8, we see Jesus as the, the light of the world. You remember those other analogies that he, he teaches and uses? In chapter 10, we see that he's the good shepherd. And now here in chapter 15, we see that Jesus is the true vine. And he says that he prunes us. If we're truly a follower of his, and a genuine disciple, then he tells us that he will prune us from time to time in our lives in order to make us more fruitful for God and for his glory. And this word pruning means to make pure. It means to cleanse. And it was a word which was used for paring back trees, for cutting trees, cutting branches off of trees or trimming them down so that they would bear more fruit, or, or so that the vine would bear more fruit. And it's interesting that if you were just a, a little baby vine, you weren't allowed to bear fruit for three years. Uh, you weren't productive. And then when you finally matured, they would prune you every December and every January so that you would bear more fruit. More fruit would come from that vine in your life. Pruning is critical to spiritual growth and to fruit bearing in the, in, the, in the Christian life. Fred Smith made this statement. He was a Christian businessman in Dallas, Texas many years ago. He said, I don't think that God is interested in our success. What God is interested in is our maturity. And as we mature, just like those vines matured, then we can bear more fruit. And God uses pruning, the pruning process, uh, to do that. Now, what does pruning look like in our lives as believers? Well, it can be many different things, but I want to 
I want to talk about three things that God has used in my own life as a believer and uh, see if any of these uh, connect with you or um, fit in your life as we talk about them. Three means of, of pruning us or three tools that God uses us uses in our lives uh, to prune us. Number one, unanswered prayer. Unanswered prayer. You ever prayed? And then you pray a little bit more. And then you pray a little bit more. And you don't get the answer you want. And so you pray a little bit more. And you don't get the answer you want. And so you pray harder. And you pray longer. And you still don't get the answer that you're looking for. That's disappointing. That can be discouraging. But it can also make us more dependent on the vine. Because remember, we're just, we're just a branch. And what did Jesus say in verse 5? Apart from me, we can do how much? We can do how much apart from Jesus? Absolutely nothing. How much is nothing? Well, nothing is nothing. Nothing is zero. And so when Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing, he meant you need to be totally dependent on me. And I don't know how it works in your life, but at least in my life, there have been times when I've prayed and I've prayed and I've prayed harder and I haven't gotten that answer. But what it's made me do is it's, it's taken me to my knees. And it's even taken me to my face. Because I know that what I need is not maybe the answered prayer, but what I need is the source of that answered prayer. Jesus Christ himself. Because he's the vine. And I'm just a branch. And what he really wants is for me to grow to become more dependent on him. And so unanswered prayer sometimes is a tool that he'll use in our lives to bring us to a place of greater dependency and a place of humility in our lives. And sometimes the answer is to wait. And I don't like it when God tells me to wait. How many of you like it when God tells you, not now but later, he wants you to wait? I don't like that answer when I get that from the Lord, but but waiting sometimes is, is God's answer. He doesn't tell us yes, and he doesn't tell us no. He just tells us wait because he wants us to be more patient. And that can lead to, to greater dependency and when we're patient. He can work in our lives. One man said that second only to suffering... Waiting may be the greatest teacher and trainer in godliness and maturity and genuine spiritual spirituality that most of us ever encounter. And that was Richard Hendricks. That's the gentleman's name who made that statement. Waiting can be painful. It's part of the pruning process. Now, a second thing I think that God often can use in our lives, and at least he's used it in my life, is unexpected problems. Unanswered prayer, and incidentally, a, 
An example of unanswered prayer, I think, in the Bible is the story of Lazarus in John chapter 11. Remember, Martha wanted Jesus to come and raise or heal Lazarus before he died. And what did Jesus do? Jesus delayed four days before going to the tomb of Lazarus because he had a very important lesson that he wanted Mary and Martha and the people there in in John chapter 11 to learn. And so sometimes God will do that in our lives. And and he knew that Lazarus was, was going to die, but he delayed. The Bible tells us in John chapter 11, four days on purpose, he wanted them to wait before he gave them the, the answer to their prayers. And so unanswered prayer, unexpected problems. Now, I can honestly say that I've never had a problem in my life that I wished was there. How many of you can identify with that? I don't like problems. But God allows us to have problems to prune us, to make us more dependent on Him because He's the vine and we're just the branches. And so He uses unexpected problems. And then the third thing that He's often used in my own life is unwanted people to prune me. Difficult people. Life would be just great if it wasn't for people, right? People can be aggravating. And sometimes the most aggravating people in our lives are people in our family. You know, I can get along great with the neighbors or the people at work, but it's, it's my family members that are challenging for me to love. But God puts family members and other people into our lives or maybe a difficult work associate, whoever it may be, to teach us to love better. He allows people to enter into our lives who sometimes cause us pain, who disappoint us. You know, people can just be downright disappointing sometimes. God never lets us down, but people do. People can be disappointing, and people can hurt us, and they can be frustrating, but sometimes God, look at verse 1 again, Jesus is the true vine, and God is the vine dresser, God's the gardener, sometimes God is the vine dresser, allows unwanted people, certain people to cross our paths to teach us important lessons about ourselves. And in the process, he prunes us. So those are three things that God has used in my own life. Unanswered prayer, as disappointing as it can be, unexpected problems and unwanted people to prune me, to make me more dependent on Jesus. John Ortberg said many years ago in a little article called Don't Waste a Crisis, God isn't at work producing the circumstances I want. God is at work in bad circumstances. And I hate to disappoint you this morning, but I think I've lived longer maybe than anybody else in this room except maybe Doug Ablett. And I think I've even lived longer than he has. So I can say this. At least this has been my limited experience in life. 
God is at work in bad circumstances. Life is full of bad circumstances sometimes. We wish it was filled with only good circumstances, but it's not. So God isn't at work producing the circumstances I want, John Orkberg said. God is at work in bad circumstances to produce the me he wants. Let me say it again. God isn't at work producing the circumstances I want. I wish he was, but he isn't always. God is at work in bad circumstances sometimes to produce the me that he wants because he wants us to be more like Jesus, more fruitful for the Lord Jesus Christ. Another man, Tim Bascom, once said, we're too comfortable to be spiritual. Here in America, where the goal is to be successful and not fruitful, we like to be comfortable. Because if I have a lot of stuff, and if I have a lot of popularity and power and possessions, those things by which we measure our success, then I'm comfortable. But Tim Bascom said we're too comfortable to be spiritual. We think we're able to pursue God better without danger or hardship. And yet it works in just the opposite way. And I think the Coles probably saw this when they were in India this last week. Here are a lot of people with hardship, but they're passionate about pursuing a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, where is here in America, where we're so comfortable, we're not. And so he went on to conclude, and yet it works in just the opposite way. Nothing is more difficult than growing spiritually when we're comfortable. Now, the second secret to being fruitful in the Christian life, and I'm not going to spend as much time on these other things. We're going to fast forward through these. The second secret is abiding, abiding or remaining in Christ. Now, count it up. How many times is the word abiding used in these 16 verses? The word fruit, I believe, is used eight times, maybe five if you're better mathematicians than I am. And how many times does he use the word abide? I counted 11 times. Now here's a little word, a little rule for Bible study. Whenever you see a theme or a word repeated, there's a reason. And the reason is God wants you to remember what he's trying to teach you. So now you tell me, if Jesus repeats a word 11 times in 16 verses, would you say that's probably an important idea that he wants you to remember? Absolutely. And this word abiding is repeated 11 times in 16 verses. And so this is the second piece to this process of becoming more fruitful. Jesus wants to not only prune us, but he wants us to abide in Christ as he's doing his pruning work in our lives. Ray Stedman, pastor, pastor in California many years ago, used to say, everything coming from God, nothing coming from me. Could we say that together for just a moment? Would you say that with me? Everything coming from God, nothing coming from me. Everything from him, nothing 
from me. He's the vine. We're just a branch that withers. And is thrown into the fire and burned. Is burned. We're good for nothing. Apart from me, we can do nothing. Look at verse 5 again. Unless we're rooted in the vine. Thus the importance of abiding in Christ. So now the question becomes, how do we abide in him? And I want you to notice something. Notice he says, abide in me. That's a command. That's an order. That's not optional. He says, abide in me. It's a command. It's not an accessory in the Christian life. In other words, you can't live the Christian life without abiding in him. That is a command, and it's also to be continuous. It's in the present tense in the Greek language, and the present tense in the Greek language was the tense of, of continuous action, which means that he's saying, abide in me, and abide in me, and abide in me, and continue abiding in me. We're never to stop abiding. In the Christian life, it doesn't work like this. Well, I abided in Christ yesterday. I think I can do without him today. It doesn't work that way. The Christian life isn't a, a set of stairs where you, you get to step two or three and, and, and you never have to go back to step one. This is, is basic Christianity. We never be, get beyond step one, which is abiding in Christ. We're to continually be abiding in him because we're desperate for him. We can't live the Christian life without him. Let me ask you, how many minutes can you live without air in your lungs when you leave here this morning? How long do you think you can live? Into, how deep in the afternoon will you go without a little bit of oxygen? Well, I'm not a doctor, but I'm going to tell you, you won't live more than 15 minutes, that's for sure, and I think it's less than that. We need oxygen in our lungs if we're going to live spiritually. We need the life-giving air of the vine in our souls if we're going to live spiritually. We've, and, and we've got to be abide, abiding in him if we're going to produce the fruit that he wants to in our lives. And so we're to abide and keep on abiding. This is an ongoing process. What's the key to abiding? Well, look at verses 6 and 7. What does he say? If, my, if ye abide in me, and my what abides in you? My word. I think the, the, the key to abiding is abiding in the word of God. Write these verses down, and if you're in a small group this week, how many of you are in a small group? Virtually everybody. You'll have a chance to look at this further, but write down Psalm 1, verses 2 and 3. Write down Je Jeremiah chapter 17, verses 7 and 8. Write down Psalm 91, verses 12 through 14. Those are passages that talk about bearing fruit in our life, and they all talk about, uh, especially Psalm 1, talks about the Word of God being in our lives. We need the Word of God in us if we're going to be rooted in the vine. Willow Creek Association did a 
a study a few years ago. And you know what they discovered? The difference between people that went on living for Christ in their lives as disciples and those who didn't, you know what the difference was? Being in the Word of God. Look at verse 7 again. And the Word of God abiding in them. Getting into the Word was the single biggest difference maker. The single thing that made the biggest difference was getting into the Word of God and letting the Word of God get into you. And incidentally, we need to get into the Word of God more like explorers than tourists. You know what the, the difference is? A tourist who goes to India, and the Coles didn't go, I don't think, as tourists, but if I can just use you as an illustration for a minute. If you go to India as a tourist, you go to see the Taj Mahal and do a few spectacular things, and you're just there for a very short time. Your daughter is there as an explorer. She's living there. She's on the ground ministering to people. We need to be in the Word of God as explorers, not as tourists. Tourists just kind of run through it very quickly. We need to dive into the Word of God and explore it. Get off the beaten path and get into the Word and meditate on it, just as the Psalm 1 tells us, and let the Word of God abide in us. And that's the secret then to abiding. And then look at the word asking. Asking. That's prayer. Notice what he says. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you shall ask whatever you will, and it will be given to you. That word asking there in verse 7 is the same word for asking used in Matthew chapter 7, verses 7 through 11. And in Matthew chapter 7, verses, uh, verses 7 through 11, remember what he says? Ask and what? You shall receive, and then he talks about what? Knocking, doesn't he? Knocking, ask and keep on asking, knocking and keep on knocking. That's this same Greek word. The same word used in Matthew 7 is the, is the same word used here in John 15, verse 7. So we're to be asking. That's our prayer life. Psalm 37, verse 4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he'll give you the desires of your heart, the petitions the request of your heart. Now, I don't think that's a carte blanche, blanche promise that you, you'll get everything that you ask every time you ask it in the Christian life. It just doesn't work that way. There are other conditions and there are other limitations to this promise. But I think what he is talking about here in Psalm 37 and in John 15, 7 is that if we make Jesus Christ our first love, and we seek him as the vine. He will work in our hearts in such a way that what we desire is what he desires for us. You know, there have been some times in my own life where I've asked for God for something, and I, I was absolutely convinced that that's what I wanted or that's what I needed. But God didn't give it to me. He gave me something else instead. And then I discovered that what he gave me, what he chose to give, was exactly what I needed. And even though I didn't think I wanted it, at the end of the day, that's exactly what I wanted. And so this principle of asking or praying is a third key in this process of becoming more fruitful in the Christian life. 
the life of prayer. Now, very quickly, as we wrap this up, obeying and then loving. I want to just say something about these last two words as we end this study this morning. And uh, I'll try to get the notes to Pastor Joel. Um, didn't do a, a great job of covering just everything this morning, but if you want to use those notes as a Bible study, then you can take them home and do more Bible study later. But this next word, obeying, notice that word is repeated in verse 10, 11, and verse 14. As the Father has loved me, so I've loved you. Now abide in my love. There's that word abiding. And how do we abide? If you obey my commandments, you'll abide in my love. Just as I've obeyed my Father's commandments, and I abide in his love. I've told you this so that my joy may be in you and your joy may be, be full. The fourth secret to a fruitful, a fruit-bearing life is the principle of obedience. It's not enough to be in the word and praying, but we need to be obeying. We need to be living out what God shows us as we study his word and as we reach out to him in prayer. We need to be putting it into practice. One man described our nation or our country today as a group of unbelieving believers. In America today, we've got a lot of people that say, I believe in Jesus. I believe in Jesus. I'm a follower of Christ. But the reality is, they're not willing to put anything Christ says into practice in their life. And one of the evidences of being a follower of Christ is not perfection. Jesus doesn't ask us to be perfect. Christians are just forgiven. We're not perfect. But we have come to Christ, to, to the foot of the cross, and we've, we've given our lives to Jesus, and we want to follow him in obedience. And so... Obeying is one of the ways that we abide in his love. Um, we've got a lot, a lot of unbelieving believers in America today. Well, God wants us to, to be all in with him, to be believing believers, all in 100% for the Lord Jesus Christ. And please notice what Jesus says. These things I've told you to, so that my joy may be in you. Look at verse 11 again so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So many of those people that are unbelieving believers that don't want to do what Jesus says and put into practice what Jesus says we're to do are afraid to do that because they think that God is some kind of giant cosmic killjoy that is out to just kind of make our lives miserable. But nothing could be further from the truth. Notice that the commands that, that God gives us are for our well-being, for our good, so that his joy may be in us and that our joy may be full. True joy and meaning in life is found in the vine as we're producing fruit for him. And then finally, the last thought this morning is this word loving. Loving. The fifth secret for living a fruitful life for the Lord Jesus Christ is to be loving, to love people, to be fruitful for Christ we must love others. Notice verses 12, 13, and 17. 
This is another theme which is repeated here in these first 17 verses. Jesus talks about loving others. He says, love me as I loved you. That's what he tells us in verses 13 and 17, I believe. Now, if you do a study of 1 Corinthians 13, and I'm trying to re-memorize that in my own life, and you look at all of those characteristics of love, where do you find yourself this morning? Where do you find yourself in relation to 1 Corinthians 13? Are you more loving today than you were a year ago at this time? Jesus desires that we love people. And you can't be fruitful for Christ unless you, you love others. And I want to talk about one key to loving others as we close today, and that is forgiveness. You can't be fruitful unless you're loving, and you can't love unless you're willing to forgive. You can't love someone unless you're willing to forgive them. Is there anybody in your life today that you need to forgive? Jesus loved us so much that he did what for us? Somebody please give me the right answer so that we can, so that we can go home to lunch. He died for us, and when he hung on that cross, what did he, what did he say to the thief next to him? And, and the people around him, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do, right? He was forgiving. He died on the cross so he could forgive us for all of our mess-ups, everything that we've done wrong. If we're going to love as Jesus loves us, then what do we need to be willing to do? We need to be willing to forgive others. You know what forgiveness is? Forgiveness is giving up my right to hurt you for hurting me. There are a lot of things that people do in, in, in life to hurt us. But if we're truly forgiving, we will forgive them for those things that they do to us, just as Jesus forgave those that hurt him. Another man has said that forgiveness is acceptance with no exception. It accepts not only the hurt you received, it accepts the one who did the hurting and accepts the loss caused by the hurtful actions of others. And we're called on to forgive 70 times 70 in the Christian life. And so the last key is loving others, and the key to loving others is forgiving them. I'm going to close with this story, and then we're going to open up the Lord's table. We'll have communion together, and then we're going to pray uh, before we go home. This is a story about Corey Ten Boom. How many of you know who Corey Ten Boom is? Some of you don't. She was a lady that was in a concentration camp during World War II, and she, she lost her sister. And years after she was away from that concentration camp, she was speaking at a Christian conference. She'd come to Christ. And in the audience, as she was talking about forgiveness, she saw one of the prison guards who was one of the most cruel people in that prison where her sister had died. And she saw him, and she began to struggle in her own personal ability to get, forgive him. And he came up to her at the end of her message, 
And he said, Fraulein, he said, just as, I, as if I was to walk up to Seth right now, Fraulein, he said, you said that you were in, at Ravensbrück Prison in World War II. I was there too, and I was one of the prison guards, and I didn't know Christ then. Would you please forgive me? And he reached out his hand. And she sat there, or she was standing there in your situation, Seth, and she was just struggling and struggling. Forgive this man. I mean, how could she forgive him? Her sister died in that prison, and all, she began to think about all the cruel things that he did, and she was just filled with rage. And then it's just a matter of obedience. She said, God, I've got to have your help if I'm going to forgive this man, if I'm, if I'm going to love him the way that you love him. And so as an act of obedience, she reached out her, her hand, and they shook hands. And then she, she felt the forgiveness, and she said, I forgive you, I forgive you, I forgive you. And that's what God does when we, we're willing to obey him. He will enable us to live the way he, he lives because it's everything coming from him, nothing coming from us. He's the only one that can live the Christian life. The importance of forgiveness, and that's what Jesus did for us on the cross. Now, as we close this out today, if you're a believer, this table is open for you. You don't have to be a member of the well. I was talking with somebody earlier today. I, I can't remember if it was you, Will, or who it was, but uh, somebody wasn't a member here yet. Well, you don't have to be a member of the well to participate in the bread and the juice today. All you have to be is a follower of Christ. And if you're a follower of Christ and you've given your life to him, then this table is open for you. In just a moment, we're going to open this table up. We'll have three people up front here. We're going to be standing here. We'll give you a little piece of, a piece of bread. You can break that piece off and dip it in the juice. And we'll pray for you as you take that. We'll, you'll be coming up to the front as we participate. If you're a believer, you're welcome to do that. If you're not a Christian here today, if you've never given your life to Christ, then I would love to talk to you after this service today. There's no better day than today to come into a personal relationship with the living vine, the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's bow together in prayer. Lord, now as uh, our musicians are coming to play and as we're getting ready to have communion, I ask that you would just enable us to use this time as a time of prayer as we reflect on you as our Savior, the true vine. And Lord, I would ask that uh, you would use this as a time to just draw us into a deeper, more dependent relationship with you so that when we leave here today, Lord, you would take us and you would use us and may our goal not be to be successful. May we not shoot for the wrong bullseye, the wrong target, Lord. But Lord, make us open to this process of your pruning. Help us to abide. Draw us deeper into a prayer life of asking you and obeying you and loving others so that we can be fruitful for our Lord Jesus. Thank you for dying for us on the cross. Thank you for forgiving us, Lord our sins. And now as we take part around your table today, Lord, may we grow deeper with you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
You're listening to an audio message from The Well, a gospel-centered church family in Hastings, Nebraska that exists to grow disciples and glorify God. For more information, please visit www.thewellhastings.com. 